2: This is the Wheel of Time Spoilers Podcast. Your hosts are Seth Jacobson and Patrick Heiler. Chapter 50, The Hammer. And our symbol is the snake in the wheel.
1: The, the getting of the hammer for Perrin is a hugely significant event in oh, his yeah. life and in the pattern as well. And it's one of the prophecies, basically.
2: The afternoon sun was hot as the ferry docked in tear. Puddle stood on the steaming stones of the dock and the air seemed almost as damp to Perrin as Ilians had. The air smelled of pitch and wood and rope. He could see shipyards further south along the river, of spices and iron and barley, of perfumes and wines and a hundred different aromas he could not single out from the melange, most coming from the warehouses behind the docks. When the wind swirled momentarily out of the north, he caught the sense of fish, too, but those faded as the wind swung back. No smells of anything to hunt, his mind reached out to feel for wolves before he realized what he was doing and snapped his guard shut. He had done that too often of late. There had been no wolves, of course, not in a city like this. He wished it not, did not feel so alone. As soon as the ramp at the end of the barge was lowered, he led Stepper up to the dock after Moraine and Lan. The huge shape of the Stone of Tear, laid off to their left, shadowed, so that it looked like a mountain, despite the great banner at its highest point. He did not want to look at the stone, but it seemed impossible to look at the city without seeing it. Is he here yet? Parents thinking. Light, if he has already tried to get into that, he could be dead already, and then it would all be for nothing.
1: Small reference to Melange there. I couldn't help but think of Dune.
2: Ah, uh, the spice?
1: The spice. The spice must flow.
2: What are we meant to find here? Serena asked behind him. She had not stopped asking questions. She just did not ask them to the Aes Sedai or the warder
1: bugging him the whole time what's going on <laughs> tell me tell me tell me are we there yet
2: so why are people trying to kill us shut up serene
1: <laughs> no questions <laughs> and they've definitely done a bit of like verbal sparring because he's like he bites back a sharp, sharp retort because he's worried that she's gonna be better at it than she is
2: because <laughs> she is because she is moraine thought she was men's falcon and it did nothing to stop Perrin wondering if she was the beautiful woman men had warned him against, too.
1: Nope, that's Lanfear.
2: Yeah, but it does tell us what Perrin thinks of Fael, or at least a little bit.
1: Totally. He's definitely more and more... The, the more attracted he is to her, the more worried he is that she's the most beautiful woman. It's he's like, ever well, seen. she
2: is a beautiful woman, but is she the beautiful woman? Um, Perrin observes that Lan and Moraine aren't... Lana and Moraine are hiding their identity, which is pretty normal, but they are in tear. And as they enter the city, Perrin's kind of noting that Lael's ears were drooping till their tufts were hidden in his hair. And he looked at the people in the street wor- worriedly. I just skipped like two pages, by the way. There's, it's a lot of like banter between Zareen and Perrin, a little observation of Moraine... Observation of what Tear looks like.
1: Yeah, the only thing I'd, I'd point out in there is that people have given up hope, and that's the influence of the Forsaken dreams that Bilal is putting out, that this, yeah. this loss of hope has come about because of the presence of the Forsaken.
2: Loyal goes on, "'These folk look defeated, Perrin. They did not look this way when I was here last. Even people who let their grove be cut
1: down did not, do not deserve to look like this.'" Something had gone out of too many of those faces. Hope, maybe. Curiosity. Do you think the Forsaken are somehow feeding off of that? Or do you think it's more just a a projection of...
2: I don't really know what their intent is at manipulating a big group. But they all seem to, well, Ravine, Bilal, and Samael all do it to the cities that they're in control of. Right. Right.
1: And that's also the group that got together in the World of Dreams in the beginning of this book. Yeah. So, you know, I I wonder if it's a coordinated effort or if they're using perhaps the same process.
2: Probably both. I don't know what the point is, but not feeding off them. I mean, I don't know how that would work or what how you would what you would be eating or what that that doesn't really fit anything. I feel like just suppressing them and making people not prepare for the last battle, not be themselves, you know?
1: Let the Lord of Chaos rule. Yeah, but
2: worse, like, make sure nothing happens, you know?
1: (laughs) Make sure everybody's having a bad day.
2: Yeah, at this point, the world would be easy to conquer, you know, if they had armies or were ready.
1: There's a good deal of silk because the Sea Folk trade across Shara.
2: Mm Mm-hmm, from Shara.
1: From Shara, and Tyr is pretty close to Shara on the southern. It's, like, one of the first places to stop Except for maybe Mayen.
2: Yeah. Is it Mayen? How do you say it? Mayen? <laughs> I don't know that I'm... Discord? Thing I don't know anything Mayen? About. Mayen? Audiobooks say both? Okay, cool. That's <laughs> Mayen in the glossary. The next thing I kind of noted is the soldiers frowned at Lan's sword and fingered their own, stared sharply at Perrin's axe and his bow. But in a way, despite their frowns and sharp looks... There's was something beaten in their faces, too, as if nothing were really worth the effort any longer. And they moved yeah. through the city into a richer part of town. Perrin just observes how things change.
1: I don't really have anything until they get to the inn. Yeah. The star.
2: The inn land shows, the star, had a weaver shop on one side and a smithy on the other, with narrow alleyways between.
1: He does have a stout belly. Yes. But he, this is the innkeeper that lets the Black Aja into Moraine's room and deposit the hedgehog. Hmm. Well, but that doesn't mean he's evil. No, no, he's certainly not evil, but he wasn't that trustworthy either. (laughs) He's not... He's just not fat enough. He has a slight... (laughs) His stoutness is like his level of evilness.
2: He seems as beaten
1: down as the other citizens, too.
2: The light shine on you, mistress, and welcome, he sighed.
1: (laughs) And there's a smith smithy on the side of the inn which is really really loud
2: yeah and a weaver shop on the other side Zareen complains
1: no questions (laughs) are we supposed to sleep with all this racketing racketing for for a parent it's like a soothing lullaby the smithy's hammer
2: he says no questions (laughs) he asks her for some reason (laughs) that is is an odd question mark well no questions he said with a smile like he's he's teasing her a little bit yeah (laughs) A balding man, whose name was Jura Harrit, "'showed them to their rooms himself. "'Apparently Moraine's silk dress "'and the way she kept her face hidden, "'taken with Lan's hard face and sword, "'made them a lady and her guard in his eyes, "'and so worthy of his personal attention. "'Perrin obviously took, he took as some kind of retainer, "'and Zarine he was plainly unsure of, "'to her visible disgust, "'and Loyal was, after all, in O'Gear. "'He called men to push beds together for Loyal.' and offered Moraine a private room for her meals if she wished. She accepted graciously.
1: So here Moraine is ignoring them, staring at nothing, and washing her hands with her cloak? Yeah. I was thinking that might have something to do with the taint of the Forsaken, that somehow she feels the—and it's just, like, gross, and she's unconsciously trying to wash her hands She feels something. She feels something. Yeah. She's, like, staring off into the distance, feeling—
2: How do we go about finding Rand, Perrin asks her, but she did not appear to hear him. Moraine? It is kind of a weird scene. Mm -hmm. Remain close to the inn, she said after a moment. Tyr can be a dangerous city for those who do not know its ways. The pattern can be torn here. The last was soft, as if to herself. In a stronger voice, she said, Lan, let us see what we can discover without attracting attention. The rest of you, stay close to the inn.
1: Stay close to the end, Zarenda. Yeah. <laughs> Stay <laughs> close to the end. <laughs> Such a
2: teenager. <laughs> yeah. But she said it quietly enough that they would not hear. This Rand. He is the one you called the... If she looked like a falcon right then, it was a very uneasy falcon. And we are in Tear, where the heart of the stone holds, and the prophecies say, The light burn me, To Varin, Is this a story I want to be in? It's not a story, Zareen. For a moment, Perrin felt almost as hopeless as the innkeeper had sounded. The wheel weaves us into the pattern. You chose to tangle your thread with ours. It's too late to untangle it now. Light, she growled. Now you sound like her.
1: And I feel like that is definitely one of fiel's flaws here in the beginning is that she feels like she's in the middle of a story so things must work out yeah and that like she really needs to understand that this isn't a story this is life this is what happens to her
2: kind of enjoyed for whatever reason that the next line is he left her there with loyal and went to put his things in his room he just says that and
1: Walks away. He's like, I'm out. I'm so sick of this. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to go hammer on some stuff. I'm stressed.
2: When he comes out of his room, they're both gone. The ring of hammer on Anvil called to him.
1: And that call, this is, he gets the hammer that he carries.
2: Yes, this is the hammer.
1: Until Mahalanar. Yeah. I believe he uses this hammer to forge Mahalanar.
2: Yes. And kill a bunch of people.
1: Well, yes. I'm <laughs> just saying. <laughs> this hammer does get soaked in blood. There's no doubt of quenched in blood, you might say.
2: Uh, I'm going to read a bit, like the lead-in, and then I just left the whole metal part blank when he's, like, working in the forge. Yeah, but, I just didn't even... Yeah, I don't even walk. know what to do.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> so much in tear looked odd that it was a relief to walk into the smithy. The ground floor was all one large room with no back wall, except for two long doors that stood open on a yard for shoeing horses and oxen, complete with an ox-sling. Hammers stood in their stands. Tongs of various kinds and sizes hung on the exposed joists of, of the walls. Buttresses and hoof-knives and other farriers' tools lay neatly arranged on wooden benches, with chisels and brake irons and swages and all the implements of the blacksmith's craft. Bins held lengths of iron and steel in various thicknesses, Five grinding wheels of different roughness stood about the hard dirt floor, six anvils, and three stone-sided forges with their bellows, though only one held glowing coals. Quenching barrels stood ready at hand. The smith was plying his hammer on yellow hot iron, gripped in heavy tongs. He wore baggy breeches and had pale blue eyes, but the long leather vest over his bare chest and apron were not much different from those Perrin and Master Luhan had worn back in Emmons Field and his thick arms and shoulders spoke of years working metal. His dark hair had almost the same amount of gray that Perrin remembered in Master Lou hands. More vests and aprons hung on the wall, as if the man had apprentices, but they were not in evidence now. The forge fire smelled like home. The hot iron smelled like home. The smith turned to thrust the piece he was working back into the coals, and Perrin stepped over to work the bellows for him. The man glanced at him, but said nothing, Perrin pulled the bellows' handle up and down, slow, steady, even strokes, keeping the coals at the right heat. The smith went back to working the, the hot iron on the rounded horn of the anvil this time. Perrin thought he might be making a barrel scrape. The hammer rang with sharp, quick blows. The man spoke without looking up from his work. Apprentice? Was all he said? Yes, Perrin replied just as simply.
1: I love the man relationship that's going on there like two people who are good at the craft who just don't need to talk it's just they both yeah. know what needs to get done and they he steps in and does it
2: and I like that kind of like gives us a little bit about the Smith's personality he's sitting in there working and this young man walks in and just starts doing stuff and he just is only passively watching him and he's like well like all his workers just left the other day and he's like well let's see what this kid can do Yeah, <laughs> I'll
1: pay him you know
2: if, if he actually knows what he's doing.
1: And he seems to at least know his way around a smithy. Yeah. As I've learned, it, it's almost better to have someone who's willing to work hard and is ignorant than someone who is lazy and knows what they're doing. Sure. Uh, it just happens that Perrin...
2: Is ne- neither is, <laughs> lazy nor, yeah. <laughs>
1: neither lazy nor ignorant. He is He is the opposite of those. It turns out he's actually a pretty skilled blacksmith imagine how good he must have been. He hasn't practiced in like a year. Sure. And he was an apprentice in the Two Rivers, but he must, this guy's like, yeah, you're totally a master. Yeah. Which means he was probably good enough to be a master for like a solid year or two before sure. he left the Two Rivers.
2: And, um, you know, I think Perrin had a traditional apprenticeship too. And when I say traditional, what I mean is like his parents sent him and he like lived with the, Sure. blacksmith i imagine from a pretty early age his parents were just like this is what you're gonna do hope right. you like it right <laughs> if not too bad
1: i mean I, clearly he grew up swinging a hammer his yeah. body is adapted to swinging a hammer right and that when we talk about brains as they develop the fact that they can learn skills at a younger age more completely
2: and the same way matt complains about milking cow his dad's cows like you know his dad was a dairy farmer and had all these stables of horses and things horses and cows the smith worked on for a time it was a barrel scrape for cleaning the insides of wooden barrels now and again he had perrin consideringly setting his hammer down just for a moment the smith picked up a short length of thick square stock and pushed it in, into perrin's hand then picked up his hammer again and resumed work see what you can do with that he said
1: a working in uh, interview. Yeah. It's a piece of stock metal. It's not a big investment for him. Right. If it turns out crappy, he just throws it away. Yeah.
2: But Perrin turns it into another kind of tool that I really don't know anything about. A champer. A champer. Is that what it was? I think he said it was for trimming the edges of the Cham
1: chamfer. C H A M F E R. Chamfer knife. Okay, yeah. And what I was able to see was basically it's a it's a blade with handles on either side that you can, like, pull towards you and cut oh. the edge of a barrel with.
2: Yeah. It's like a draw knife, but it's shaped differently. A draw knife is the same thing, basically, but it's flatter and it's more for, like, it's like for taking a big piece of lumber and shaving like the bark off of it say. Sure. And you would sit and just like pull
1: back toward yourself. So this is basically doing the same thing with the top of a barrel just to smooth it off after you've got all the rings and stuff in place. Yeah. Almost
2: looks like a finer
0: tool.
1: Anyway, for smoothing and leveling the tops of barrel staves after they were hooped together among other things. So yeah, the barrel staves are the ends of the barrel and then the hoops are the metal metal hoops that go around. So you basically Drop those in, put the metal rings around it, hammer them into place, and then you have all these pieces of wood sticking up at different heights, and you just cut them off on a level.
2: Mm Mhm. A very neat bit of work, the Smith said, skipping like a page and a half. No wasted motion. You looking for work? My apprentices just walked away. All three of them, the worthless fools. Enough plenty you could do. Perrin shook his head. I do not know how long I will be in tear. I'd like to work a little longer, if you don't mind. It has been a long time, and I miss it. Maybe I could do some of the work your apprentices would have done. The Smith snorted loudly. You're a deal better than any of those louts. Moping around and staring, muttering about their nightmares, as if everyone doesn't have nightmares sometimes. Yes, you can work this here as long as you want.
1: Another reference to the dreams? Yeah. I'm really beating us over the head with the dream thing.
2: <laughs> and I'll read this last part. Light. I've orders for a dozen draw knives and three Cooper's adzes. I don't know what that is. And a carpenter down from the street wants a mortise hammer. Don't know what that is either. And too much to list it. Start with the draw knives, and we'll see how far we get before night. Perrin lost himself in the work. For a time, forgetting everything but the heat of the metal, the ring of his hammer, and the smell of the forge. But there came a time when he looked up and found the smith, Dermid Ajala. He had said his name was.
1: Ahala, maybe?
2: Ahala? I kind of like the sound of that better. Dermid Ahala, he had said his name was, taking off his vest and the shoeing yard dark. All the light came from the forge and a pair of lamps, and Zareen was sitting on an anvil by one of the cold forges, watching him. "'So you really are a blacksmith, blacksmith,' she said. "'He is that,' Mistress Ahala said. "'Apprentice,' he says. "'But the work he did today amounts to his, his master's piece, as far as I am concerned.' Fine stroking, and better steady, better than steady. Perrin shifted his feet at the compliments, and the smith grinned at him. Serene stared at the both of them with a lack of comprehension.
1: Shop talk. Yeah. <laughs> but I really love that sentence from Fael. So you really are a blacksmith, blacksmith.
2: Oh yes, Rady, I see. It's like an axe, but it's turned sideways. That's also for carving. I've seen that before. I didn't know what it was called, though. I watched a documentary demonstration once about how to make a canoe out of a log with rocks, bait, essentially. And you make that tool and right. you just like
1: scrape, scrape, scrape.
2: It's like a really heavy hoe, essentially. So is your mother. <laughs> I, I saw it coming, <laughs> but there's just no way around that. <laughs> and you stand like with a foot on either side of the big piece and you swing and carve out. There are so many puns in that. Just, <laughs> I was like, it was running through my head as I was about to say it. And I was like, shit, there's no way around this. Because then I'm like, you know, you stand straddling a large piece of wood and swing a hoe. and It's just like, Jesus. <laughs> this is just riddled with. <laughs>
1: well, and you said it. And like, I wanted to not make a Your Mother joke. And I, you looked at me and I looked at you and there was that half a second and we both knew I had to do it. I just had to. <laughs> this is one of my favorite little quotes. Uh, Perrin notices Serene's eyes on his back. It was as if she were touching him for a moment. The herbal scent of her seemed overwhelming. Oh yeah, she's checking out his back and she when she gets turned on, that herbal. I think she sweats a little bit and that herbal scent comes out. I
2: think he's just intoxicated by her. I feel like I can kind of relate a little when you're... Falling in love and, like, that person's particular scent starts to mean more.
1: Uh, but I think it's also that she's falling in love with him and he is scenting that. He's smelling He's it? He's smelling it. Uh, absolutely. She's totally I, crushing it. That makes on sense. Him. And this is when his back is turned. So she's looking at him and then that scent becomes overwhelming for a second. Ah, mm. uh, Yeah. I think uh, it's just that when, when she's attracted to him, that herbal scent comes out a little bit more. And that's something that's consistent throughout all the books. That when he's pleasing her or doing the right thing or and she's all like into him, that herbal scent becomes stronger in his nose. I that's never
2: really noticed smell. that before. Yeah, it's her smell.
1: But it's her smell for him.
2: Perrin picked up the heavy hammer he had used. A ten-pound head with a handle as long as his forearm. It felt good in his hands. It felt right. The smith had glanced at his eyes once and never even blinked. It was the work that was important. The skill with metter. Metal. Not the color of a man's eyes. No, he said sadly. One day, I hope. But not yet. He started to hang the hammer back on the wall. Take it. Ahala cleared his throat. I do not usually give away good hammers, but the work you've done today is worth more than the price of that hammer by far. And maybe it will help you with that one day. Man, if I've ever seen anyone made to hold a smith's hammer, it is you. So take it. Keep it. Perrin closed his hand around the half. It did feel right. Thank you, he said. I cannot say what this means to me. Just remember the one day, man. Just you remember
1: it. I love this blacksmith. I, I, he doesn't ever come back, but he wins me over in this one scene as like a good dude. Like He doesn't succumb to the Forsaken influence. He gives Perrin a hammer. He's just like, I don't know, one of my favorite fourth tier characters he's like a non-character he's like a non-character but i remember him a lot like he has a significant influence on parent he gives him the hammer
2: yeah and
1: he he gives him the that one day that he needs the
2: this conversation is symbolic too i believe that the blacksmith thinks he's saying like well hey finish doing what you got to do why don't you take that hammer with you and whenever you're done come back here right work for me
1: oh totally you know totally it's a good investment on his part.
2: Yeah. And, you know, you give him a 10-pound hammer, and now he's got to carry this thing around thinking about, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's also a s- solid strategy. But, you know, for Perrin, it's symbolic. He's, he's saying, if I've ever seen anyone made to hold a smith's hammer, it's you. So take this. Keep it.
1: And it represents, for Perrin, the life of simplicity and being a blacksmith that he truly wants.
2: Yeah, which is why he's so grateful and then of course the Smith says, just remember the one day. Remember when it's all done, you can go back to this. You can come back.
1: It'll always be here for you. Yeah. yeah. No, it's 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 a huge moment in, in Perrin's life.
2: And there it's one of those moments where, well, I don't know if how aware Perrin is of this, but like there's two different conversations happening at the same time. This is a symbolic moment, even though everything the Smith says is literal.
1: Oh uh, Well, I'm, yeah, there's like three levels to this conversation. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, you've got the, the level of, here's a hammer, remember that you can be a blacksmith one day. But it's also like life choices, and it's also about creation versus duty, and what you want versus what you have to do, and then violence versus creation. It's almost hard to go into all the different levels that it works on.
2: He goes back to his room.
1: Oh, he starts comparing the hammer and the axe.
2: He hefted the axe in one hand, the hammer in the other. By weight of metal, the axe, with its half-moon blade and thick spike, was a good five or six pounds lighter than the hammer, but it felt ten times heavier. Replacing the axe in the loop on its belt, he set the hammer on the floor beneath the peg, handle against the wall.
1: Duty or is heavier than a mountain.
2: Axe haft and hammer. Haft almost touched. Two pieces of wood, equally thick. Two pieces of metal, "'near enough the same weight. "'For a long time, he sat on the stool staring at them. "'He was still staring at Lan when he put his head into the room. "'Come, blacksmith, we have things to talk over.' "'I am a blacksmith,' Perrin said, and the warder frowned at him. "'Don't go winter-crazy on me now, blacksmith. "'If you cannot carry your weight any longer, "'you may drag us all down the mountain.' "'I'll carry my weight,' Perrin growled. "'I will do what has to be done. "'What do you want?' you blacksmith don't you listen come on farm boy <laughs>
1: <laughs> don't make me repeat myself no and i i do feel like perrin gets a little bit stuck here in this he insists he's a blacksmith long after you really should acknowledge that he is a leader
2: yeah you're a nation smith perrin right not a blacksmith
1: you're a bond smith yeah In the parlance of Stormlight Archive, uh, he brings people together. He will unite instead of divide.
2: Perrin Perrin hurried into the hall and followed him toward the front of the inn, meaning to tell the warder he had enough of this blacksmith and farm boy. His name was Perrin Ibarra. The warder ducked into the inn's only private dining room, overlooking the street. Perrin followed him. "'Now listen, warder, I—you listen, Perrin,' Moraine said. "'Be quiet and listen.' Her face was smooth." but her eyes looked as grim as her voice sounded.
1: Isn't her face always smooth? That's what agelessness is.
2: Well, yes, but, I mean, even, like, a kid can furl their brow and their face isn't
1: smooth. (laughs) I know what you mean. It's like a neutral face, like she's not making a face. It's not that she's...
2: Yeah, she just never has an expression on it. Yeah. Parent had not realized anyone was in the room except for himself and the warder. Aiel is there, too.
1: Because he's been out foraging, and then did he shower afterwards?
2: No, he just went straight to his room okay. and then yeah. So
1: basically Lan grabbed him as soon as he came back. Yeah. They were just waiting for him to finish up.
2: "I'm glad you decided to join us, farm boy," Serene said sarcastically. Marine would not say anything till you came. She just looks at us as if she's deciding which of us is going to die. "I be quiet," Marine told her sharply. "One of the forsaken is tear. The high lord Salmon is Bilal."
1: She might as well pull his hair and run away flirting oh yeah
2: just like please pay attention to me <laughs> serene says without saying
1: oh, oh yeah and then we'll just completely ignore the the bomb that blows in is the high lord salmon oh yeah That's what she, which we don't we knew about but yes this is where how do you think she figured it out do you think she just like she went no out idea it's same way she like how did she know that samuel was in Ilian? She's like, oh, Samuel is Lord Brend.
2: How she figures out who's who, I don't know. But figuring out that there's a new high lord and weird stuff has been happening and putting that together, that makes sense. But figuring out which is which... That's
1: what I'm The the best explanation for folks is that she knows the Forsaken pretty well. She gets descriptions of the Forsaken from people's dreams... And maybe she's able to match up. She knows, you know, I can figure out which Forsaken is the new one. Or which Lord is the new Lord who's taking control. Right. That must be the Forsaken. And then I can figure out which one it is based on people's dreams and what, the way they describe them. And then she has descriptions of the original way they look. That's my only, I, you know, there could be a bunch of other ways that she figures it out. We don't get any description of what she goes and does. Yeah. Uh, I love here that Loyal does his whole, I want to go. And Moraine says, (laughs) fine, go. And he's like, well, never mind. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's essentially what happens there.
2: (laughs) Moraine says a little after, I fear he means to let Rand enter the heart of the stone, take Kalandor, then take it away from him. I fear he means to kill the dragon reborn with the very weapon that is meant to herald him. Which I feel like would also be fairly easy to deduce.
1: Right. Well, that's that's a good plan. I mean, it's the obvious plan. Yeah. Right? Like, no one else can get to the sword. Everyone wants the sword. Let let him take it, and then it's freely available for you to kill him and take off his dead body, you know? Yeah. In, in that moment of taking, he doesn't... is when he's the most safe to attack before he learns how to use it, while he still doesn't know a lot about the power... And when he's still in shock from picking it up for the first time and channeling that much power for the first time. Sure. There's a period of time where he like is struggling to bring himself into balance. He's dancing on that razor's edge mm-hmm. and it takes him a few seconds to pull himself into balance and he is vulnerable during that time.
2: I'll read a little more. Perrin took a chair uneasily. Moraine, you were saying a lot of things right out that you told us we must not even think about. You do have this room worded against listening, don't you? When she shook her head, he gripped the edge of the table hard enough to make the dark oak creak. I do not speak of a murdral, Perrin. No one knows the strength of the forsaken, except that Ishmael and Lanfear were the strongest, but the weakest of them could sense any warning I might set, from a mile or more away, and rip all of us to shreds in seconds, possibly without stirring from where he stood. You're saying he can tie you in knots, Perrin muttered light what are we supposed to do how can we do anything even the forsaken cannot stand up to balefire she said he wondered if that was what she had used on the dark hounds yep. still made him uneasy yeah what he had seen what she had said then i have learned things in the last year perrin i am more dangerous than when i came to emmon's field if i can come close enough to Bilal, i can destroy him but if he sees me first he can destroy us all Long before I have a chance. He turned her attention to Loyal. What can you tell me of Bilal? Parents surprised, and so is Zareen, that she would ask Loyal, which is dumb, because Loyal is like 100 years old. He spent his entire life reading. Of course, Maureen explains.
1: Yeah, well, and I like the, the generation explanation as well, that when you have— A 100 generations of people you have to pass like playing a game of telephone if you have to pass on a message 30 times it's much more likely to stay intact than if you have to pass it 100 times
2: sure the highlights of what Lyle says are he was called the envious that he forsook the light because he envied Luce Theron he was called Bilal the netweaver but I do not know why she mentioned him playing a game of stones with Luce Theron and winning she being the author of the book he's referring to and that he always boasted of it a little more silver writers say Bilal and Samael were both leaders in the fight against the dark one before they forsook the light and both were masters of the sword i'm sorry i could not tell you anything useful he sums it up with perhaps you have moraine told him i do not know the name the Net Weaver, or that he envied the dragon as well as his companions in the shadow that strengthens my belief that he wants calendar that must be the reason he has chosen to make himself a High Lord of Tear and the Netweaver, a name for a schemer, a patient and cunning planner. You have done well,
1: Loyal. And he truly may be the greatest swordsman alive right now. Bilal? Bilal. But he and Lewis Theron are the two who really took the game of swords and made it a, a game of war. They are the original Blademasters.
2: Yeah. Was Bilal the one? Wasn't Ishmael one too, the Blademaster? master? Or one of, like, the inventors of swordplay?
1: I never thought of Ishmael as... He doesn't really focus on that. He's more of a plotter than a fighter.
2: I'm responding to Iradia. I don't know if it sounded like that, but yes, I meant that the author of the book was talking about Bilal boasting about winning stones against Luz Theron.
1: And we know he was a general and a planner and all all these kinds of things. Like, I, I think he was, you know, a major opponent and had a real chance of taking down Rand here. Yeah. Moraine just totally shot a hole in his plan. Like, out of nowhere, balefire, gone. Like, he had this incredible plan that was really effective and was working, and he was a better swordsman and all these sorts of things. He would have had Kalindor, and he would have been by far the most powerful Forsaken after taking down the Dragon Reborn.
2: It would have worked... If so many people were interfering, right? Moraine, you know, steps out from behind a corner and, like, just obliterates him. Right, right, right. But also, Semerhog sends the army of Trollocs.
1: No, that's later. That's after, oh, is that, it? That's in The Shadow Rising after Rand has the stone.
2: Oh, that's right. He has Kalendor during Calendor that scene. already, yeah. Easy to get those scenes I've confused.
1: totally have that as the same scene in my head. That's, like, right in the beginning of The Shadow Rising. Guys, how exciting... We're getting to the end of The Dragon Reborn. Like, we've got... How many chapters left? Six more chapters. One, two, three, four, five. Six more chapters left, which is... So that's a week and a half. A week and a half. In two weeks, we'll be done with The Dragon Reborn. And we're probably going to take a small vacation at the end of The Dragon Reborn.
2: Oh, man, yeah, we were talking about that recently, but I was thinking of it as something that will happen, like, in the distant future. But I guess, yeah, we're right up on the end.
1: So we've just got about a page left... And basically, Moraine says, I'm going in. Lan says he's coming with her. And she says, okay. But Perrin and Fael have to stay behind. Yeah. And it turns out they end up staying behind because of the hedgehog trap. Oh, right. But they weren't even really needed for the plan anyway. I don't know. Just kind of convenient.
2: I'm just trying to figure out where to pick up. There is a thing that your news drove out of my head, Moraine, Lan is saying. A small thing. And I cannot see what it might mean. There are Iel and Tear. Aile, Leila exclaimed. Impossible. The entire city would be in a panic if one eel came through the gates. I did not say they were walking the streets, O'Gir. The rooftops and chimneys of the city make as, as good hiding as the wastes. I saw no less than three, though apparently no one else in Tyr has seen any of them. And if I saw three, you can be sure there are many times that that, that I did not see.
1: It's not true. Jewel and Sandar saw them.
2: It is, yeah. He well, he didn't know what he saw, but he knew, he saw someone.
1: Someone's on the roof. He he just people moving Aiel. around
2: the rooftops. It means nothing to me, Moraine said slowly. Perrin, why are you frowning in that way? He had not known that he was frowning. I was thinking about the Aiel and Remen. That Aiel and Remen, rather. He said that when the stone falls, the Aiel will leave the threefold land. That's the waste, isn't it? He said it was a prophecy.
1: Yeah, Moraine here is like. There's no mention of the Aiel, just the people of the dragon. Yeah. You just don't know they're the same thing.
2: Right. I have read every word of the prophecies of the dragon, Moraine said softly. In every translation, there is no mention of the Aiel. We stanger blindly while Bilal weaves his nets, and the wheel weaves the pattern around us. But are the Aiel the wheel's weaving, or Bilal's? Lan, you must find me the way into the stone quickly. Us, find us a way in quickly.
1: How does she get in? Any idea? I don't remember. She just kind of appears behind Balal.
2: She's gets landed.
1: Yeah does does land like throw her through a window or something?
2: Direct landline. As you command, I said. I he said, but his tone was more warm than formal. He vanished through the door. Moraine frowned at the table, eyes clouded in thought. Serene came over to look down at Perrin, her head tilted to one side. And what are you going to do, blacksmith? It seems that they mean us to wait and watch while they go adventuring. Not that I will complain. He doubted that last. First, he told her, I'm going to have something to eat. And then, I'm going to think about a hammer. And try to puzzle out how I feel about you, Falcon, he thinks privately.
1: That last word there is pretty significant. It's the first time I think he calls her Falcon. Yeah. In his head.
2: First, I'm going to get something to eat. And then I'm going to think about a hammer. (laughs) <laughs> now she just gets up and leaves after that. and She's like, what is this? <laughs> Why are all the cute What's ones talking crazy? about? Yeah, Bambi, I noticed that Lan smiled at her warmly. Or more warmly than usual. I figured exactly how it was.
1: Well, she's taking him with her.
2: Yeah, she's she's letting him get his way.
1: Yeah, those were those were some impactful. The rest of this uh, book is pretty much an avalanche to the finish line. Everyone's in tier again. You know, we we noticed we hit on all all major plot lines here.
0: Mm-hmm. When did someone see
1: Rand? Did we not talk about that? Didn't Matt see Rand right when he got off the boat? The issue with Disney is the fans, right? The movies are enjoyable on their own. And a lot of them I have a lot of nostalgia for. But the fact that you couldn't get away from Frozen's music for... Same thing with uh, The Lion King. Because I loved The Lion King when it came out, but I couldn't get away from the music for years. <laughs> and so now when I hear Hakuna Matata, I just want to strangle somebody. Not because I don't like the, didn't like the movie or didn't enjoy the music, but it just became such a It's crazy how iconic that
2: stuff gets. Oh my
1: god. So fast. Yeah. God. It it would be like if some obnoxious fans took one of their favorite books and just picked it apart chapter by chapter, word by word, over hundreds of hours of audio. It would be obnoxious. <laughs> Who would waste their time listening to that? Looks directly into camera. <laughs> All right, so there's some interesting stuff out there in terms of units of length and weight that it appears Robert Jordan may have messed with a little bit to get things to work. And that's important, particularly in this chapter, because of the 10-pound hammer. Yeah. I was reading an article breaking down this chapter Mm -hmm. because this is the one where he forges stuff. And just a blacksmith really got into it and sort of criticized it, which I'm not going to do. But I thought the one interesting thing was it makes more sense if these are seven-pound hammers and, like, a four-pound hammer. That's more likely what someone would use. Yeah. And with Jordan's alternate weight measurements that he uses sometimes that would make about 10 pounds in world would be about seven pounds in our world. Oh, interesting. I never knew that. So it's an odd little, and the same thing with the circumference of the world, that if you take, well, it's almost the opposite, where if you take Robert Jordan's lengths, the world is much larger than Earth, but if you use our measurements, it's about the same circumference. Essentially, I just don't take distances too seriously. And weights and measures—they sort of seem to change whenever they need to to fit the plot. Yeah, sure. Numbers and armies, that sort of thing. Like,
2: I could also make the argument that in a pre-industrial society, weights and measures
1: aren't standard anyway. Right. Yeah, and then there's also something about a ten-day week. That like yeah. weeks in his world are ten days. something I know there's supposed to be a calendar and
2: stuff, but nobody yeah. ever references the day of the week it is. No. So. <laughs> you know and i know that they exist like they do they are out there right
1: yeah no i mean we definitely know there are days of the week and they're not the same as the ones we call them yeah no i pretty much just assume that there's there's inconsistencies in in measurements that people use it's why Rand has to start up his school across all the different places and they they haven't agreed on si units yet a foot is still the length of the king's foot Anyway, I just wanted to do a primer on, on weights and measures here because there's a pretty extensive blacksmithing scene. and
2: Yeah, it's really long. Yeah.
1: There are certainly some inconsistencies in the blacksmithing or some criticisms someone would make of the writing of blacksmithing. I still really enjoy the scene. Oh, yeah. I think it's fun. And I am and I, willing to forgive Jordan some of his perhaps imperfections in describing the process to make the process feel alive.
2: Oh, sure. And, you know, there are not that many people out there who know about blacksmithing anymore. Right. Although, they're definitely
1: out there. Sorry, guys. I'm looking for this article that I read recently. All right, so it's just a Reddit post. So about the weight. The hammer I use most of the time for general-purpose forging is about four pounds. That is slightly heavier than what most smiths use, but not out of the norm. I also have a seven-pound hammer that was custom-made for me. Seven pounds is way off the chart for one-handed use. Anyone who's an expert in this field is going to criticize the way it's written. It's never going to be perfect. Sure. And so he just goes through and says, yeah, this, I'd hold the hammer differently, and this heat is too hot or too cold, or, you know, little little nitpicky stuff like that. Yeah. But it's in a good article if you really want to know more about how forging works.
2: These are the things you'll get if if you hang out in Discord, guys.
1: I mean, clearly he grew up swinging a hammer. His body is adapted to swinging a hammer. Right. And when we talk about brains as they develop, the fact that they can learn skills at a younger age more completely... In the
2: same way Matt complains about milking cow, that his dad's cows, like, you know, his dad was a dairy farmer and had all these stables of horses and things. Horses and cows.
1: Oh, so that's why Matt's so good with the women. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I don't know what that's supposed to mean. <laughs> Cut that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I was trying to think of, like, parents so good at blacksmithing because of the fact that that's what he did growing up, and Matt is so good at, that I couldn't think of anything that he was good at because of milking cows. <laughs> oh, all right. <laughs> and that came out, that was not how I intended that joke.
2: Oh, I get it, because cows are girls. Now I get it. Okay, I see where I see where you were going. It just was no. It yeah, did not That's not where it went. It's
1: not not working. Okay. <laughs> Thank
2: you for listening to the Wheel of Time spoilers podcast. Rate us in the Apple Podcast app
1: or support us on Patreon. Is that good enough?